Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Matthew Cahill, president of the Precipio Company. Matthew, how are you doing today? Outstanding, Alay. It's great to hear you. It's great to be talking with you again uh, after some time. Tell our listeners a little bit about the Precipio Company, what it is, how you got it started, what it is that you do, and, and how you serve your clients. Oh, that's a lot of ground to cover. I'll try to be succinct. The Precipio Company uh, is is founded on the belief that if you have a brain, you have bias. And uh, I recently, as of a few weeks ago, have that phrase trademarked with the uh, patent uh, office in our nation's capital, along with the phrase from bias to belonging. So I think a lot of consulting firms are very, very good at pointing out problems. uh, And I take an exceptional amount of pride and put an, an ordinate amount of effort into moving beyond the problems into solutions. And so... Uh, We start with, if you have a brain, you have bias. And then I work with firms, uh, organizations, small, mid, large companies to move them from bias to belonging. Well, that sounds interesting. A lot of our attorneys are are really interested in in bias. It tends to come up during uh, CLE courses pretty often, but bias can mean different things to different people and different businesses. So if you could just put bias into context or a framework for us. Oh, thank you. Yes, absolutely, LA. Bias is uh, a key to the success when using bias in this context is differentiating between the type of bias that you're talking about. I think that's one of the biggest problems that happens in these types of conversations, especially when you get into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging conversations. Uh, I take a framework that starts with cognitive biases and draws on the latest in neuroscience, in, in psychology, in evolutionary biology. It's, uh, there's, a, there's no shortage of, of, of research that shows our brains are inherently wired for certain types of activities that lend themselves to problems. And that whole area of cognitive biases is truly fascinating. And so when you're discussing or learning about conscious and unconscious biases, it's really important to make sure that you are, you know, framing that properly. You're not confusing that with bias related to race or gender or culture or age or ability or orientation. All of those I collectively put under social biases. And those types of biases are best measured in behaviors, not necessarily thoughts or feelings. Okay, so I want to I want to put uh, stop you right there because this is really important stuff, and I want to make sure our audience is able to pick up on that. Can you quickly give me an example, maybe in a legal, no, like an attorney type of context of a cognitive bias versus a social bias? Sure, absolutely. So I think. Uh, When I do a uh, cognitive bias assessment, uh, which I have, gratuitous plug on my website, 
you can explore the five most common cognitive biases. And the one that that lawyers score the highest on is a cognitive bias called egocentric bias, which is, you know, in order for a lawyer to even exist, they have had to have gone through years of training, right? And, and anyone that has gone through years of, of training or learning or spending time studying a specific subject matter, they can become blinded by their own expertise over time. And it's easy to forget that not everybody else has that level of experience. So egocentric bias is that intersection where you, you tend to forget because of maybe it's just something as simple as circumstance, right? You're in a hurry, you have a deadline that, that others don't have that same level of expertise. And that bias can lead to some real strong, uh, that have some very great devastating impacts. If a male attorney is not recognizing that somebody, a female paralegal, doesn't have that same level of expertise and then ends up coming across as they're condescending, well, now you've brought in a whole nother layer of bias into this transact, into this, into this interaction. And so it becomes a very um, nuanced flow that starts in our brains and then moves itself into behaviors. Interesting. So the attorney, the attorney paralegal um, interaction is one example of a cognitive bias. You, but you mentioned the male female thing. So how is that significant? And is that cognitive bias or is that something else? Well, I think in that example, in that moment, then it becomes, it can be classified as gender bias in the example that I just gave. Mm -hmm. Because the behavior from a man uh, condescending, you know, like, intentionally or unintentionally being condescending to a female colleague definitely falls into that space of a more traditional type of gender bias. And how does that compare and contrast with social bias, which was something else you mentioned? Well, I think now we're into that realm of social bias. And when you look through those lenses of behaviors, right, the behaviors I think are what the, are the drivers of racial bias, gender bias, bias related to age, uh, bias related to ability or orientation, those are all the types of social biases that impact every workplace. And it's those biases measured by behaviors over time, that's how bias gets embedded into the institution, whatever that may be, whether it be tech company, legal company, uh, uh, public agency, that's how bias works its way from our thoughts into our actions and behaviors and then gets embedded into our processes, our procedures, our meeting protocols, and ultimately our governance. So we've got a bunch of people, right? Because that's what a law firm is comprised of, walking around with their own set of biases. And each one has a variety of these biases that are interacting in different ways. And then overarching over all of that are the institutional biases that are built into the firm. Number one, it, it's just sometimes when I hear about all this stuff, it's just an amazing that we can actually get along at all. <laughs> and, and number two, how does this show up in, in the running of the law firm and the business of law? Well, I think some, some of the research shows that uh, even our, our, our best intentions end up, you know, we, we can be subject to some of these internalized, institutionalized 
biases. So some of the research that jumps to mind uh, are the, the, the biases related to types of law, right? And, and the stereotypes associated with types of law where family attorneys, right? Divorce attorneys may be more gender specific and, and associated with women. Whereas corporate attorneys or business transactional attorneys may be more traditionally associated with men. So I think that's an example of how a, a gender bias over time has become institutionalized so that it shapes then the perceptions of, of others coming into a law firm, right? Or somebody seeking uh, a lawyer in the first place, right? Or maybe a lawyer to a lawyer transaction, right? Like there's, there's I think, some stereotypes right, which are born out of social biases that, uh, you know, when they become institutionalized, then they shape the perception of future interactions. So when you mention these great examples, Matthew, what I'm hearing is, you know, number one, bias is impacting the culture of the firm. Number two, it's impacting the communication uh, amongst the different members of the firm. Um, it's impacting number three, uh, potentially client interactions because of the egocentric bias that you talked about and also because of all the other biases that are going on. Um, so it's impacting not only internal to the firm, but also external to how the firm interacts with others and how the firm is perceived. I mean, it's impacting the entire law firm in every which way you can think of. Is that typically what you see? You're nailing it, LA. And that's the exercise that we go through to pinpoint where it's not a question of if bias is impacting your business. It's a question of where and how. And when you can accurately pinpoint where and how bias is impacting your business, now we can put mitigation strategies in place. Is it possible to have a business that is bias-free or someone that is bias-free? It seems like it might just be inherent to the human condition. I said, if you have a brain, you have bias. So that I, I actually contend uh, the, the title in California for MCLE credit is called elimination of bias. And I'll often lead those sessions by saying, okay, we're going to have to chop off everybody's head because there's no way <laughs> going to eliminate. We can't achieve the goal of this, of this uh, MCLE course uh, because we all have brains. So um, Let's let's look at it a little differently. Let's reframe it a little bit because I don't think it's possible uh, to eliminate bias, but it is possible to mitigate the negative impact that bias is having on our businesses and our firms. And how does one go about you know identifying the biases that they have within themselves and within their firm, and then addressing it? It is a self-reflective process. Absolutely, uh, I think it's always easier to point out, you know, the flaws in others as opposed to looking at them in yourself. I think that's, uh, you know, there's a bias related there. It's called the fundamental attribution error, and that's where that particular type of cognitive bias starts. But I think the the uh, the idea that that awareness alone is going to somehow uh, you know, reduce the negative impact of bias is uh, it's an oversimplification. I think you do need to become aware of things, but you know, if you become aware of something and then don't take, don't follow that up with a change in actions or behaviors, then the problem with unconscious bias is that it's impacting your decisions and it's outside of your conscious awareness, so you don't know that it's happening. I see. Yeah, that makes sense, and I, and I could expect that correcting 
those biases or the biases you want to correct, even after you've identified them, could take a lot, uh, you know, a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, so take us through, if you don't mind, just a quick, uh, maybe a almost like a case study type of thing. But you know, the the work that the, a law firm that described the situ- situation they were in. And then maybe a little bit about the work you did with them and then how their situation changed as a result of the work that they did with you. An easy example is, uh, um, you know, mitigating against like me bias, right? So, so like me bias in a firm, uh, there's no shortage of the trend of, uh, you know, a firm is founded by a certain number of, of principals and, you know, perhaps they know each other from law school. Right. So now if they're going to seek out new people to add to their firm, they're going to seek out other graduates from that same law school. Right. Because they're going to gravitate towards what's familiar to them. That's the that's the, the you know, the, the working definition of like me bias. And that may work. That may you know, that may work brilliantly when a company is really small or a firm is really small. But as they scale there's a line that they're going to cross eventually that's inevitable where they're going to start to overvalue that one pool of candidates right and now they're they're you know there's there's ample research that shows homogenous organizations whether they be law firms or fortune 500 companies they underperform when compared to diverse firms or diverse organizations and so I think, you know, putting that, those types of mitigation strategies in place, the timing of it is, is essential, but they need to be in place in order for you to be able to set your company up for the best likelihood or probability of success. Wow. So, and just taking the like me bias as an example, what I heard you say is that it may work okay in, in a small firm type of situation, but as that firm gets bigger and bigger, there are studies that have been shown that show that firms that are homogenous that use the like me bias and all the attorneys are basically similar uh, versus the more diverse firm. There's a performance difference and the, and the firm that's more diverse actually performs better, which may be counterintuitive to some people because they would think that the firm that's more homogenous may have less disagreements Um versus the firm that's more diverse. And so I can think of a lot of reasons why the firm that's diverse would outperform the other one. But Matthew, just take us through you know, the literature that you've read. What are some of the reasons that that diverse law firm is out, or those diverse law firms, excuse me, are outperforming uh, the more homogenous, like me biased law firms? Well, I think the, the really provocative statement is that when you're a small firm, I would say like me bias perhaps can serve you really well. Uh, and and that's, a, that, that's a provocative statement because you're saying that bias is good in that context. And the answer to that is it, it may be, it, it may very well be because you think about, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, Alea, of working in a small business or with a small group of people, like you really... You need to be able to to be nimble. You need to be able to trust one another. There's some characteristics that come along with that that the nature of that homogenous small group that are really really beneficial when a company is growing at a rapid clip and you need people to you know dedicate an inordinate amount of their time, effort, and energy 
uh, they need to wear multiple hats and they need to have a high degree of trust with one another. And that's easier to do when somebody is like you. Um, but that's a, you know, that's a short lived window of time. And, and when that, you know, starts to expire, there's a direct correlation to how much the organization or the firm is growing. And if the firm is growing by default, you can say maybe it's extending lines of, of practice or, or types of law, right? So we're going to add in a family attorney, we're going to add in a IP attorney or, you know, some other type of attorney that, you know, if we're just over relying on that same original skill set and, and, and communication style and, and personality and strength, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's setting yourself up for less than optimum performance over a longer period of time. So that's very interesting because I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I hear that in my own business, which is a small business. And I hear that in my clients' businesses who are also small businesses. There's definitely a benefit to having a high trust team that you know is well aligned, works well together with a minimum of conflict and communication challenges. And so this group here are attorney entrepreneurs. They own small law firms. That's who the listeners are. And so if you're talking to them and they're they're growing their firm, what advice would you give them about, you know, that do they deploy the like me bias and utilize those advantages or you know, try and shed that bias and be more diverse. What are they, what is their takeaway from this kind of dialogue here right now? Yeah, I think it's a starting point is just looking at the demographic data that you have in your firm and, you know, who are your clients and and allowing those different data points to factor into your decision-making. They, they don't necessarily determine what choice you're going to make, but you need to start to broaden the, the variables and the criteria that you're factoring into a hiring equation. And I think uh, the other thing to be mindful of is if you don't make those changes and you continue with a homogenous group grouping, the research shows that over time, when there is conflict, it's harder to vet that out because it's harder to get it up above the surface. Like what really is bugging somebody is something that they may not even be consciously aware of. But if you've already taken steps to diversify your member base, your employee base, your, your partner base, right, your, or your new associate base in a firm, you're now already taking proactive steps to, to keep, you know, your, your communication lines very explicit, right, and even more precise and above that unconscious line, if that makes any sense. It does to me. Um, but you know, we, we live and breathe this stuff all the time as business coaches and consultants. And, but it may not, you know, everyone who's listening may not feel the same way. So if someone is uh, a cynic or a skeptic about this topic about bias, what would you say to them, Matthew? Mm. Um, I think it would be, uh, a conversation that I would, that I would welcome and really to, uh, to dig in to find out more about what it is that they're uh, resistant on, or what is the cynical part of it, or you know where where are they, uh, in a sense, hung up, and uh, and I think those are 
great questions that I would have more so than I would have uh, any kind of, you know, refuting statement that's going to, you know, drop the mic or, uh, or, or throw down a gauntlet. I think there's far too much of that thinking in our world today. Awesome. No, I love that. Welcoming them for an open conversation. That would be refreshing. (laughs) Um, So as we're wrapping it up, Matthew, real quick, um, what are the top one, two, or three things that a small law firm owner should be doing uh, to deal with this issue of bias? Well, first and foremost, if you're a California lawyer, making sure you're staying, you know, uh, in in compliance with the requirements to practice law in California, which is taking the elimination of bias refresher every other year, um, that uh, you know it's put in place for a reason, uh, and I think it is because you know I don't know what year it came into play and and it was required by law, but there's there's a belief there that that lawyers need to be as as unbiased as possible right uh in order for justice to be served and uh and i think that's that language that i just used sounds like it's you know very lofty and and it is we're in a profession that is very lofty i mean i feel that way day to day cuz we get embroiled in the the details and our in our own levels of cynicism in the, in the world today, but uh, I think that that the elimination of bias is is a good starting point. That that course and the way that I do it with law firms is not to try to eliminate it, but just to really figure out where you are at in your own understanding of how bias is impacting the way that you practice law, and uh, and I think that conversation is a worthwhile conversation for anybody listening uh, to have. Well, it certainly sounds like it would be a long and and deep and uh, introspective conversation. Um, that would be fun, man. That would just be a lot of fun. Um, and if people want to get a hold of you and have that conversation or have that conversation get started, at least, Matthew, what's the best way for, for them to do that? Alain, the easiest way is just to go to the website. So that's percipiocompany.com. It's P-E-R-C-I-P-I-O-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com. And there you can find tons of information. There's assessments, there's articles, there's links. So you can email me and I personally receive any communication that comes in off of that site. So uh, I would encourage you to go there and check it out. And if you don't like what you see, then don't email me. But if anything resonates, then ship me a line. I love these conversations. I think that they're overdue and much needed. Awesome. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me on Lawyer Business Advantage today. This was a really thought-provoking conversation. And for you attorney entrepreneurs who are owning your own law firms and making hiring decisions and performance management decisions, you owe it to yourself to think about how bias could be impacting those. And so please do go ahead and check out uh, Matthew's website at precipiocompany.com and dig into all the, the free content he has there. Matthew, thank you again. Sure thing, Elaine. Thank you. Everyone, that's Matthew Cahill, president of the Percipio Company. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, 
or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.